Well, we're so glad to be able to dive into God's Word today. And today we're starting the continuation of preparing for the presence of God. This is a two-series um, set, and so we're going into the second series today. Previously, we've spoken of being called into God's story, that this story isn't about us, but it's God's. We've, we've spoken about the authority that we find in Scripture because it's in the multi-thousand-year journey that God, who transcends time, reveals himself. And there's no way that we in our short lifespans could ever comprehend the grand nature of God simply by our observations. And so we rely on the authority of Scripture to be able to guide us into understanding what God has done to understand what God is doing and to be able to understand what God will do. And so we talked about that. We talked about um, not being able to accept any substitutions for Scripture because Scripture reveals Christ. It reveals the entire purpose and plan of God. And so we must be very careful as we navigate our Christian faith to ground it not in society's thoughts and good memes and good logic, but to ground it first in Scripture and allow good logic to come out of Scripture, to allow great memes to come out of Scripture. And so that's where we base everything that we are, are working on in our Christian life. And we took an entire sermon to go through the grand narrative that is God's purpose and plan that's taken thousands of years to unfold. Today, we're going to continue to look at what happens when the presence of God changes us and how Jesus changes us. And, uh, and there's going to be a whole piece in that. But before we dig into it, I just want to take a moment and pray. God, I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for your work. I'm so thankful that you transcend all of this. God, that you transcend my life, that you transcend every person that will ever hear this sermon's life, that you existed well before and that you will exist well after. God, I thank you that you are faithful and you have continued on a single course with humanity, a course to redeem them, a course to live with them, and a course to make all things right. And so, Jesus, I pray that as we study the word today, that we would find our expectation of your presence grounded in Scripture and that we would see how it changes and influences and impacts our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So, when we meet Jesus, he changes us. When we meet Jesus, he changes us, and he changes us in unexpected ways. And this is the beautiful truth of Christianity. I said at the beginning of this last sermon series on preparing for the presence of God that we don't really believe that the presence of God is real. But when we meet Jesus, he changes us. We're going to read a big passage of scripture today, and I encourage you to follow along. Uh, you can find it at promisechurch.community in today's message, um, or you can find it in the script in the Bible, whatever you use. You can use an app. I read out of the ESV. So I'm going to read it today, and it's Romans 6, verses 1 
to 16. It's a very important passage of scripture. Now, as we dive into Romans, I need to give us a couple of of pieces that are really, really important for us to understand in terms of context. Um, Paul is speaking in all of Romans to two people groups. The first people group that he's speaking to are the Jews, the people who have the law and they know what is expected of them by God because of the previous authority of scripture. So they have the law that they rely on and they know that this is, this is what it is. And the second people group that he's speaking to is the people group that is uh, the Gentiles. And they're trying to follow Jesus, but they don't understand how Jesus changes them and what parts of them need to change and what parts need to be kept the same. And so there's a a tension that's built up in the Roman church where, where the Jews are imposing certain views and practices on the Gentiles, and Paul is working to straighten that out. So I'm going to read this passage to us right now, and then we're going to get into um, how Jesus changes us and what meeting with God actually does. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one who has died has been set free from, for, whoops, sorry, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin reign, therefore, in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So up to this point where you commit to following Jesus, you're 
ultimately responsible for every action, for everything that you do, and you get to determine every single course of action you take, every emotion you, you allow to come through you. It's all you. It is fully within your purview and your own decision. You can quite honestly do whatever you want. That's before you meet with the person of Jesus Christ. When we want to know the presence of God in our life, uh, we assume that we want God to come in. And when he comes in, he challenges that that level of uh, control. He challenges that perception that we have in our life that we can do whatever we want. And God comes in and he challenges it. A few weeks ago, I talked about Christianity um, using ownership language when it comes to God. And one of the greatest, most honest evangelism truths is that this is about ownership of my life. Jesus talks about laying down our lives as he lays down his life. And we see this imitation of Christ where the ownership is deferred to someone who is far greater than us. You know, and and that's challenging because in our culture, in the way we grew up, autonomy is vital, it's it's close to one of our core values, that the autonomy to do what you want, the freedom to be the type of person you want to be, to act just as you want in the exact situation, is a very, very tight value in our culture. We are individuals. We are strong. We are self-sustaining. We are independent. We can do it. And this is brought into us right from our childhood. We, we talk about giving our children independence. We ensure that they have everything, and this is well and good. See, God works to give us freedom. But the question is, freedom to what end? And what is freedom? How does this play work between the ownership of God and the autonomy of the individual? What is freedom? See, Is freedom the ability to survive? Is freedom the the striving to provide? I mean, are are you free to chain yourself to a desk 60 hours a week and make sure that you live in the freedom of purchasing a nice new cottage? You know, is, is that freedom? What are we really free to do? And what freedoms control our decisions? This line of thinking was really brought to my attention as I came home from a mission trip from Malawi. And I was on a plane that was traveling from Addis Ababa to Rome. And seated next to me was uh, an Islamic man dressed in full formal religious attire. And so there was no mistaking that I was sitting next to to an Islamic man. And, you know, coming home from a mission trip, I felt pretty sure that God had put him there so that I could teach him something about the truth of, of God. And he surprised me a lot. He asked me a couple of questions and he said, you know, what do the clouds make you think of? What do you see when you look out the window? And I said, I see the beauty of God's creation. He said, yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, okay, I see how this is going to go, you know. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, Western Christians, 
big generalization, don't think that we believe in God, but we do. We believe that God is the creator of all this. And he said, what I don't understand about Western Christianity is you Westerners think that you're free. And I said, well, we are free. And he said, you Westerners think that you're free to do whatever you want and you complain about us and all of the rules that we live by. And I just listened because I, I learned very quickly that I wasn't there to teach him something, but that I was there to listen. And he said, I want you to consider this. He said, look at the airplane attendant that worked for Ethiopian Airlines. And there she was, and she was wearing her uniform. And he said, because of the uniform that she is forced to wear because of her employer, there are many men on this flight who have already considered lustful thoughts about this airline attendant. Is she free? Is she free to be free of all of their impulses? And he went on and on and talked about what freedom is and how freedom is found inside of God. And you know, while I don't believe the Islamic religion and, and there are definite differences between Islam and Christianity, he did have a good point. He said the freedom that Westerns feel is a freedom to follow their own impulses. They can do what they want, and that's not the freedom that God has for us. That point stood. You know, what is freedom? Society really does say that freedom is, is the ability to choose what you want to do. Financial freedom is, is the freedom to be able to buy what you want, when you want, with no restrictions. We think about freedom in terms of uh, a teenager would think about freedom, about how late they can stay out because they just want to. And they think about freedom in terms of what they can buy. And a man might think about freedom in terms of having a man cave that's separated from the rest of the family where they can do what they want and be what they want. There's nothing innately wrong with all of this. But there is a piece where we have to think about what are we free to? Are we free to fall into the vices that are part of our life? Are we free just to make sure that we can drink as much as we want? Is that freedom? Is a woman free to purchase as much alcohol as she wants and then allows herself to drink as much as she wants? Is that freedom or is she bound by something? See, the Bible suggests in the passage that we just wrote that that there is slavery at hand. We become slaves to our impulses, to the sins that pull at us, that tempt us, that say, you need to do this right now, and we become slaves to them because the one that you obey, the one that you obey, it says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anybody as obedient slaves, as obedient, you are slaves of the one you obey, either sin which leads to death or obedience which leads to righteousness. Are we really free? Or do we find ourselves enslaved by our own vices? The vices that get put on us that society celebrates and downplays and says that's not a big deal, but yet we can't escape them. The presence of God comes in and sets us free. 
from our impulses. The freedom is God's strength to overcome the slavery of impulses that can destroy your family. The slavery of impulses that can destroy your future. The slavery of impulses that can, control, that can destroy your hope. We're freed from those things in Jesus. Take a look at the passage again. I'm going to point out six comparisons that lead us to what freedom from slavery is. Look at this. We've got right at the beginning, we have a baptism. You're baptized into death to live a new life. It's a contrast right in verse three. You're baptized into death to live a new life. You know, you've got, we are united with him in death. This is verse five. And then we're united with him in resurrection. There's this death language is about the vices and the sins that destroy us. And the, and the life language is about the new way in which God changes us so that we live without those destructive forces in our life. The third one is we're ruled by sin. That's what I'm talking about, the internal impulses that are unchecked. And then we are set free from sin. Like, this is, this is amazing. And that's, that's in verse 6. Um, we, are di- we died with Christ, and so we live with Christ. This is the fourth one. The fifth one is we are dead to sin, and now we are alive to Christ. And sin, the sixth one is sin will not be your master. You have been set free from sin, and you are owned by righteousness. Owned by righteousness. Verse 17, which I haven't read, says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. This is, this is the thankfulness that we have to God because in the presence of God, we are changed. Jesus changes us. And he sets us free from the vices that destroy us. Jesus, what change did Jesus bring? Jesus sets me free from the bondage of sin. I I bicycled across Canada in 2005, and when I ended, I got to a friend's house in, um, she lived in Vancouver, just outside of Vancouver, and uh, and we were talking about um, this theological thing, and she said, what is the greatest sin? And I was like, I don't know, you know, um, came up with a bunch of options. And, and, and she was like, it's independence. It's the fight in each one of us to say, I get to do my own thing. I get to be my own person. I get to be the author of my life. And she says, that is one of our greatest sins. Upon that, all other sins hinge. Jesus sets me free from the bondage of sin. And so I allow God to take that, that fight for independence. And I say, God, I want to be dependent on you. In the moments where sin and vices come and attack us, we find that we are able to rely on the changes 
that God brings in us. And when we don't see that, Martin Luther says that the old man that Paul's referring to here, the, the man that sins, the man who's still slave, you know, although he's dead, he still kicks sometimes. And we see that. It happens in our life. And God is in the process of changing us. And it's in the presence of God that we are changed. When we prepare for the presence of God, we prepare for this transcendent being who, come, who reveals himself in Scripture to come into our lives and start to change us and set us free from the slavery to the, to the sin and to the impulses that drive us. You know, the second thing that, that the second change that Jesus brings is, is Jesus says that uh, he, un, he changes my understanding of ownership. <clears throat> and it's really, really important. One of my young favorite verses, and I say it a lot because I want us to know it. He, it's Luke 9, 23. It says, and he said to them all, if anybody would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Verse 24 says, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we see that, that God is asking us to offer up ownership. Jesus changes my understanding of ownership. And Jesus, the calling of Jesus changes everything about it. You know, the slavery that Israel was freed from in Egypt, the slavery that they came through in the Exodus, is equivalent to the slavery to sin and impulses that I have, that God has set us free. And when Israel came out of Egypt, God said, I am the Lord your God. <clears throat> I am the one who owns your life now. You owe allegiance to me. As God sets you free from the vices that you experience, your type of Egypt, God now writes on your heart that you are his. And we owe him our allegiance. So in our verse today, we're invited into the freedom from slavery to celebrate God's presence in our life that transforms us. See, it does really cost everything. It's why it's the most honest evangelism statement to say that Christianity is about giving up ownership of your life because it makes us count the cost. It costs us everything but it is completely worth it because the freedom and the life that we live in is not destructive. It is not self-centered. It is not harmful to others. But the life that Jesus calls us to loves God and loves others as God allows us to love ourselves. And there's so much strength in that. Next sermon, we're going to continue to discuss the freedom that God's called us to. Um, but today, we are just evaluating the ownership of our life. Once again, saying, God, am I really ready for your presence? Allow me to be ready. Do the work that allows me to know that I am set free. <clears throat> Let me pray for you. God, there are people in our congregation. <laughs> there is me who stand in your presence and say that we have vices 
that we find ourselves enslaved to. We might say, oh, well, it's in my heritage. Or, oh, well, it's in my, my family structure. Or, oh, well, it's in my personality makeup. And while the reasons for our vices may run deep, your spirit runs deeper still. And so, God, we offer our allegiance to you and we ask you to free us from the things that hold us into slavery so that we may live to you in the freedom that you have established for us. God, it's in this moment that we find our hearts repentant. We find our hearts realizing those vices that still hold a claw or a grip on us. And we, and we submit them to you. And we ask you that we will be baptized into your death so that we can live again in your life. Only you can do this work. Only you are the one that sets us free from, from the vices and the evil that, that tempt us and ensnare us. And so we submit to you again. And we ask you to faithfully do the work that we rely on you to do. We are willing participants in the change. Give us wisdom, guidance, perseverance, and help us understand your grace. More than anything, help us understand your grace. We are so thankful for everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.